Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 105 of Compliance Into the Weeds, the only podcast which takes a deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds to consider a compliance or compliance-related action. But first, have you ever considered starting a podcast? As I expand the Compliance Podcast Network, I'm always looking for new podcasts. If you wanted to start one but didn't know how, listen to this message from our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. Today, Matt Kelly and I, the coolest guy in compliance, take a deep dive into the recently announced Polycom FCPA enforcement action. Matt considers it from the corporate culture, tone at the top, and overall destruction of a corporation through bribery and corruption perspective. I take a look at the nuts and bolts lessons learned for the compliance practitioner to stop, detect, and prevent bribery and corruption. It's a fascinating exploration of a case that was announced the week of Christmas 2018. I know you will enjoy it and garner many lessons from it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance for 2019's first episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. So uh, with that, uh, Matt, welcome, and uh, I hope you had a happy holiday and a very happy uh, new year. Well, thank you, Tom. Uh, I did, and I hope everybody else had a good holiday break and a good new year, too. So, Matt, we uh, I love it when we both blog about the same case on the same day. And uh, we did that on Monday, the 31st, around a December 2018 FCPA enforcement action, which was announced the week of Christmas, Polycom. So uh, that's great. Uh, when we align like that, we obviously have to do a podcast on it. So here we are. You want to start us off and give us the background facts? Well, yeah, sure. So I think um, this is a fascinating case. And like I said in my post, uh, whatever your particular compliance interest listeners out there, you're going to find it in the Polycom case. Uh, These are the guys who uh, make those uh, whiz-bang speakerphones you probably have on your conference room table. They make uh, audio and video conferencing equipment. Polycom actually was acquired by Plantronics just last July, but I'm going to wind up, I'm sure, referring to them as Polycom throughout. Uh, On December 26th, in a rather um, stealthy and unheralded announcement, the SEC quietly put out a statement that uh, it had reached a settlement with Polycom for FCPA issues in China, where uh, Polycom in total agreed to $31 million in disgorgement, spread among, I think, the Justice Department, the Postal Service, and the SEC, plus a $3.8 million penalty from the SEC, plus $1.8 million, I think, uh, in prejudgment interest. So total amount of disgorgement, penalties, interest, the whole nine yards. Um, it was $36 million Polycom had to pay to settle this. It was a bribery scheme in China uh, running from 2006 until 2014. Uh, I will very quickly outline the highlights of uh, the actual misconduct, but I think it is fair to say at this point this is kind of a traditional 
FCPA um, snafu for Polycom, traditionally bad. Um, number one, happened in China. Number two, involved Polycom China's distributors. Uh, number three, they were using uh, discounts given to distributors to fund bribes to the end customers. And then number four, Polycom officials were covering that up in their books and records. Um, number five, we have some incomplete compliance and ethics training of Polycom employees that was never really followed up. And then number six, there was some incomplete due diligence of some sketchy distributors that Polycom never really pushed to the logical end. We have heard this many times before. Uh, then what happened was in 2014, Polycom had a change of leadership. Tom, I'm sure we're going to discuss what that was about momentarily. But change of leadership comes in. They self-disclose the misconduct. They work to investigate with federal regulators. They work to remediate a lot of it. We can talk about the details of that. Um, that hits all three of the FCPA corporate enforcement policy pillars. So whiz, boom, bang, the Justice Department declines to prosecute, although there is disgorgement. We've heard that before, too. Um, there's the cost of the internal investigation. I'm sure that was not cheap. But then the $36 million in disgorgement and SEC penalties and whatnot. And presto, here we are. So that's it at the very high level, Tom. How would I do? Uh, you did great, and I, I should have said this in the uh, introduction. For anyone who really uh, uh, does not understand the difference between the way Matt's brain works and my mind works, all I have to do is read our two blog posts today. Because as usual, <laughs> I go deep dive into the nuts and bolts uh, of the enforcement action. And Matt takes steps back. It takes a much broader, and I frankly found much more interesting look at this case with a lot of implications from different parts of not only the uh, investigative uh, procedure, the enforcement procedure, but also from the corporate procedure. So that's what I'd really like to explore with you, Matt, is the, the corporate culture issues uh, really starting with uh, doesn't get much higher than the CEO. Yeah. So this is what intrigued me about this case is there I was reading the SEC's enforcement order and the SEC made a reference in passing to the fact that the Polycom already had a settlement with the SEC in 2015 for inefficient and weak internal controls over CEO expenses, personal expenses and perks that the CEO had improperly billed back to Polycom. It's like, huh, that is interesting that they already were on notice as having ineffective accounting and internal controls for CEO expenses. And then we stumble into ineffective accounting controls for FCPA. So I pulled on that thread a little bit. That brings us back to uh, the CEO in question. Now, this is a man named Andrew Miller uh, who ran Polycom from 2010 until July of 2013. And uh, Mr. Miller wound up eventually during his tenure there, he billed $190,000 of improper perks and personal expenses back to Polycom. And these were things, for example, um, he took a 10-day trip to South Africa, a site visit for a sales conference uh, with his girlfriend, and they racked up $51,000 in expenses to tour South Africa and then uh, build all of that back to Polycom. And then you can dive into, and in my post, I did take a, a closer look at the various types of uh, cover-ups that he 
engaged in. And frankly, they were very similar to the types of FCPA misconduct Polycom's China division was engaging in at roughly the same time. Now, I want to be clear that I am not saying Miller was somehow in on the Polycom China thing. There's no evidence to suggest any of that. My point is merely that we had a flawed CEO who was engaging in misconduct, quashing efforts to look into his misconduct, using minions to cover up his misconduct, um, submitting false entries into the books and records. He was doing all of that at the very top. We should not be surprised if that is your tone at the top. You're going to see similar problems crop up in parallel elsewhere in the organization, which is what happened. Um, he was uh, apparently dinged by the SEC, for example, for using his private Yahoo email address to avoid suspicion about things like his South Africa trip. And lo and behold, over in China, they were concocting these bribery schemes using their personal email addresses, and they were falsifying documents and records and putting them into Polycom's global accounting system. Uh, so I would view both of these as two symptoms of the same larger malaise that was afflicting Polycom at that time. Um, and frankly, Miller was the CEO. He is responsible for it, uh, along with Polycom's board, uh, because they were pretty much going along with, if they put him in there, uh, he came from outside the company in 2009. So if this is the culture that we're letting the CEO foist upon the organization, like, what do we think is going to happen here, folks? Um, it is telling to note. How did that all eventually uh, come to a crashing conclusion? In the spring of 2013, somebody tipped off uh, Polycom's audit committee to Andrew Miller's uh, CEO perk shenanigans. They investigate. They fired him in July of 2013. Uh, and then Polycom brought in a new CEO, several new board members, and now it's 2014 and they're taking a much harder look at their culture and their organization. And aha, what do we have happen? Well, here's in our FCPA order from last week. We see in 2014, suddenly Polycom was onto the China issue and then investigated and reported and everything else. So really what was going on was misconduct at multiple levels in multiple ways. Finally, the CEO misconduct kind of, I think, burst the bubble. And when we had new leadership come in, they start taking a whole new look. They realize that's not the only problem we have. We have this FCPA issue in China. We've got to get to the bottom of that. Um, Tom, we probably should talk about exactly what the China FCPA issues were because there are some very deep and troubling bad practices there. But to my mind, like these things are – are two set pieces of a bigger issue that Polycom had. And compliance officers and boards and CEOs, you, you got to think about that because that's what really puts you in a bad light. For all of our talk about FCPA and ethics and compliance and CEO perks and everything, here's the end of the story for Polycom as a business. Revenue tanked under the leadership of Andrew Miller. Um, the company went into a buyout with private equity, and then finally it got sold off to Plantronics. So Polycom as a company does not exist 
because it had poor leadership that let multiple troubles crop up. And then you know how that goes. You wind up going out of business. Well, you wind up going into, a, I, I would say, different ownership, a different phase of life. And the Polycom name and its entity and its history is now just one part of a bigger company, Plantronics. And I don't, I don't really see that as a healthy outcome for, for many businesses. Right. So the uh, it really drove home. Your post drove home to me the, the need for this case to be studied, but really not by compliance, by a board of directors, by the audit committee, by the uh, head of internal audit, yeah. uh, by other stakeholders, so that they understand the need for appropriate levels of oversight over a CEO and indeed an entire co- company leading up to the entire corporate culture. I I think that's exactly it. I'm not saying that if they had a different CEO who was more principled and believed in strong oversight of his own expenses, would that CEO, he or she, have been able to prevent Polycom China's FCPA abuses? Maybe, maybe not. But that sort of a leader and that sort of governance would have had a much better chance to prevent the Polycom China FCPA issues that did come along. Certainly, if you've got a CEO who really can't be bothered to pay attention to the rules and is engaging in his own misconduct personally, I don't see that person as setting a very effective tone at the top for everybody else. And I think a big part of Polycom China's misconduct, it happened because not enough people elsewhere in the organization were saying, is this real? Is this true? You know, Polycom, for example, that the China executives were always entering false accounting entries into the system saying, we gave these discounts. Why? Because competition. Why this one? Competition. Over and over again, they just said, well, we had a big deal, but we had to cut the price because of competition. Nobody stopped to say, is that for real? Is that true? Maybe it would have been, I, you know, but it, clearly it was not. But nobody was skeptical enough or took it seriously enough that, like, let's probe this a little more. Let's try and verify. And that led to Polycom China's scam going on for so long and all of these various issues. There was not enough skepticism. There was not enough of a speak up and a questioning culture. But then again, if your CEO is the type who's padding his own personal expenses and living the great lifestyle at company expense, like if that's the sort of person why would you expect a, a skeptical and speak up culture to take root? And it's like those things don't go together. And clearly in Polycom, they, they didn't come to pass. So that really brings up the point that I tried to focus on, Matt, which was the uh, oversight over the China business unit and the China business unit's um, active uh, deception uh, to the corporate office. And then finally, the customer's involvement in the bribery scheme, because that's one of the themes that I'm really seeing in 2018 that compliance officers need to consider going forward, which is now we have not only the customer simply accepting bribes uh, to send the contracts, but they're actively helping to create the pot of money to pay bribes. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote about that today for another publication, and this seems to me to be one more example And for compliance professionals and compliance practitioners, I think it's going to make following the money or following the pot that creates the pot of money to pay the bribe even more difficult 
because uh, certainly uh, a discount requested by a customer based upon competitive pricing, based upon the customer's budget, uh, can be a legitimate business reason for a discount. Uh, But where does that discount then move to something that's nefarious? When does that discount become so great that it should in and of itself raise a red flag? This is really not something that I've known compliance officers to either focus on or really even have the ability to focus on. So um, the uh, I found that part of this case uh, really interesting as well. I, you know, I agree. And what caught my eye was the convoluted sales process for Polycom in China. So Polycom China would sell its equipment to distributors who would then sell it to resellers who would then sell it to the end customer. And typically the discount would be sought by the distributor. And then there came the bogus accounting entries in the global system Polycom used and all that stuff. But the other thing that stuck out to me was once I started hearing about discounts added by, asked for by distributors and all of this, that's very similar to what we saw earlier this year with the Sanofi case and where the SEC settled with Sanofi. Again, that was in the Middle East, but Sanofi selling to distributors who were then creating discount requests, and that became the money for the bribes. And in that case as well, not only did the SEC require disgorgement, but the SEC imposed a penalty. I think it was $5 million for Sanofi, and it's $3.8 million here. So number one, we have these complex sales structures that cannot be easy to follow who asked for what discount and who really is the customer, because technically the customer for Polycom China were the distributors. Um, So who asked for what? How do we track all of that? Does the chain of sale really need to be that complex? But it's difficult for compliance officers to raise questions like that and see if we could simplify it. In some markets, by the way, you probably can't. Um, And then I think a parallel problem that is really difficult that this Polycom China case shows is that they had a dual sales management system where they put all of the, um, the bribes and the improper payments and all of the bad stuff was carefully tracked in a wholly separate Polycom China system that its vice president managed. And then that person entered bogus entries into the global accounting system for Polycom that made everything look good, except, of course, it wasn't true. But how would a compliance or audit executive necessarily know to ferret out that there's a whole separate IT system here that we don't even know about? I mean, is it on a different computer system? Is it on a different network? If it is, how would you find it? I'm not sure that we have the answers to those questions, but like, That's going to be the question, because this is not the last time we're going to see that. And it's only going to get easier for nefarious people to set up these parallel schemes with these very complex sales processes. It's really hard. But if you don't get it right, like this is twice in four months that the SEC has dinged a company, imposed a penalty because you couldn't figure it out. Um, And that's worth noting. So the um, the other thing that struck me, Matt, was the specific notation in the SEC administrative order that it was executives in Singapore who were overseeing the price discounts. And, and why I thought that was so significant was that it seemed to indicate there was at least an attempt 
uh, by Polycom to have some uh, segregation of duties, some type of internal control, which would rein that in. Now, it wholly failed uh, to do so, but I found it significant that they pointed out that the review and oversight was just not simply a, a more senior executive or a business unit VP or or EVP, but executives from a different country. And that really led to the entire discussion, I thought, about, uh, as you said, the convoluted nature, but really the language difficulties, the fact that the company did not translate the compliance training into Mandarin, and and then leading to uh, not even really uh, chastising people at all, or sanctioning them, I should say, uh, for failure to complete compliance training. Yeah, and I think that's another really interesting point that I was wondering about too. Is you know, so the Singapore executives would have been looking at all of those records of discounts and would have been seeing time and again. We offered this because of competition, competition, competition. Nobody there actually stood up and exercised the internal control and segregation of duties that existed on paper. Nobody there actually stood up and said, "Really." You know, come on, guys. We all know that China is a corrupt country. I mean, everybody in Singapore, I am sure, knows that. They're right next to Singapore, relatively speaking. You know, it is not news to tell anyone in Singapore that the Chinese government engages in corruption. Um, and yet, they, the Singapore executives at Polycom just kind of rolled right over. And why did they do this? Now, there is a stereotype out there. I am not saying that I buy into this, but there is a stereotype that Singaporeans are accustomed to a very authoritarian regime. They, you know, they do not live in a free country, and maybe they just rubber-stamped everything. Maybe they just wanted to not raise difficult questions because they're higher-ups back in the United States. Well, if the CEO is racking up personal expenses and you know he's imposing budget cuts while he flies off to South Africa, maybe I shouldn't even bother. You know, Maybe that is an attitude. We don't know why. But I do think it gets back to these issues of corporate culture, skepticism and, you know, verifying for the sake of verification, even if there is no nothing there when you actually do verify. That is part of good governance and compliance and audit. And it didn't happen here, even though everything was configured that it could have if people wanted to, but it didn't happen. And that, I think, is a big question that uh, compliance officers might want to ponder. Like, how do you avoid getting into that kind of a situation? So, Matt, let me circle back to one of the points you made a little bit earlier that I don't think we talk enough about in uh, the general compliance world. And that is the negative business impact from having a uh, corporate culture that – if not rewards illegal behavior, certainly doesn't sanction it. So I can present to you two or three uh, examples off the top of my head of uh, energy companies from Houston that got into FCPA trouble and really were never able to make a comeback and are now uh, been sold in parts of other companies. But here, it's not simply a <coughs> compliance or at least an anti-corruption compliance issue. It's, it was the entire culture that really uh, led to uh, Polycom's drop in revenues and leading to their eventual sale. And that's, I don't think, something that's really talked enough about. Could you maybe uh, give some thought to that? Well, I, I do. And this is where I have some sympathy for Polycom China executives, because if you look at uh, Polycom's corporate filings from back in that time, 09, 010, 11, which I did, um, their biggest competitors in China were ZTE, 
and Huawei. Now, both of those companies are big, formidable competitors, period. For anyone in the world, they are competitors you know, here in the U.S. and in Europe, let alone in their home countries where they do have very cozy connections to the government. Uh, so I can see why Polycom China executives would feel an awful lot of pressure that we have to close these sales. How are we going to do it? You know, we're getting killed in some way or other. Let's just bribe our way to success. And that is not a valid point of logic. You know, like you cannot follow through and therefore say, okay, it's okay for us to bribe because our competition is tough. But a good corporate culture would have led Polycom China to go back to its executives overlords in the U.S. and in Singapore and say, guys, we have a big problem here. We can't compete in China against ZTE and Huawei. Our pricing structure is way wrong or we need to do something totally different. The only way for us to compete is to bribe. You know, you can have that conversation, but the next sentence should be, and of course, we can't do that. So how do we find another way? And I am skeptical that anybody in Polycom had that sort of a discussion back then. Uh, certainly, given the fact that Andrew Miller, the CEO, was also engaging in his own form of misconduct, um, you know, you have to think through these sort of dimensions that if it's difficult to succeed without bribery, there are questions to be asked about how do we succeed. Um, but, you know, you have to try and find some other way. You Maybe they should have said, we need a new product. We need to get out of China entirely. We need to come up with a different pricing structure. Um, but I don't know that any of those things happened. What we do know happened is that uh, Polycom just bribed its way to business. And it's just one more manifestation of cheating, because that's what bribery is. That's what you know, padding your expense report. It's just cheating. If you've got a cheating mindset, that's not a rigorous way to do business. And so I'm not terribly surprised that Polycom suffered in the early part of the 2010s and then eventually stumbled into a private equity takeover and a sale to Plantronics. And as a standalone business, Polycom is no more. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating explanation of a case which on its face appears to be uh, as you said, uh, not only fairly straightforward, but things we have seen before. But when we unpacked it, there was really a lot there, literally from the boardroom to, I would say, the shop floor for lessons learned and in incorporation and training going forward. Absolutely. Like fascinating cases, a layer upon layer that you can just peel away like an onion. Well, Matt, as always, it's been a great exploration and uh, frankly, can't wait to see what the news provides us to talk about next time. Thank you, Tom. Same here. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Take a look at our blog post on this, which I've linked to in the show notes. Uh, They both link to the underlying SEC cease and desist order and the enforcement action for additional reading. I hope you'll join us again next week where we will take another deep dive into the weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.